when you get to the grey hair and wrinkles stage that I am, you take less BS from some of these young guys that are great at spreadsheets. I don't give a damn what the spreadsheet says. This is how business operates and this is how the cash will get spent. Ready to raise capital? It's time to get your dose of investment insights with the Investment Fix podcast. Brought to you by New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. Kia ora, I'm Dylan Lawrence, General Manager of the Investment Team at New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. Today on the Investment Fix, we're going to be talking with two New Zealand companies that have chosen to fund their growth with private equity. And with me to talk about the investment category and their growth journey are Calicurb founder and CEO Sarah Kennedy and Layby co-founder and managing director Gary Roloff. Sarah, Gary, thanks for joining. Great, thanks for having me. Thanks very much hey, for having me, Dylan. Hey, now, do you both have an elevator pitch? Calicurb, we call it your best friend in fasting. It's clinically proven to assist you in your intermittent fasting or weight management goals. Nice. Hey, what you, Gary, do you have one? It's a little bit long-winded and it leverages off the genesis of the product. In my teenage years, there was a thing called Layby, L-A-Y-B-Y. And what our product, L-A-Y-B-U-Y, does is take that historical lay-by and bring it into the 21st century where the consumer doesn't have to wait till they've fully paid for the product. They get it today. We take that risk, but we pay the retailer overnight for the product. And we take a slight margin from the retailer for that service. In the UK, that traditional lay-by is called a lay-away. That's why we bought the layby.com URL because our marketing idea was why lay away when you can lay by. That's the genesis of our product. Retailers get it because they can see the benefit of allowing their customers to spend now and pay over time. And consumers like it because it's interest-free credit. They pay no interest ever with what we do. You've both advanced past that initial elevator pitch stage pretty quickly, but can you give me some background on your business and your growth journey to date? Calicurb came out of eight years of research with plant and food. They had the hypothesis in 2010 that they would find a natural extract that would suppress appetite. Over eight years with a $20 million MBIE grant, they looked into this over a massive amount of research, which ended in a clinical trial. And they discovered and then developed an extract which is clinically proven to reduce appetite and calorie intake by up to 20%. That was really the discovery of it. And then they thought, well, how are we going to commercialize that? I was approached in 2016, and I was absolutely fascinated by it from having been in the natural health industry for over 20 years. I'd never seen an extract that had that amount of clinical behind it in one of the weightiest problems that we have in the world, (laughs) which is obesity, I was very, very interested in it. 2017, with all about development, it was a fantastic year. We were very lucky to get accepted into the Global Access Program at UCLA. Thank you very much, NZTE, for that introduction. So we had six MBAs work for six months on our entrance into the U.S., two and a half thousand hours in the consumer insights. We launched in April 2018 and we're nearly three years into it. We're selling across six international countries. Fantastic. Gary, tell us a little bit about Layby and its founding and to where you've got to today. 
Sure. My wife and I and our two sons launched this business in May 2017 around the kitchen table at home in Auckland and grew very rapidly. We now operate in New Zealand, Australia, the UK, and we've just launched in the US. It's been one heck of a journey for our family and for the business. We now have 84 people employed in the company. And when you consider we started with four in 2017, that's been one heck of a ride in the middle of a global pandemic. The opportunity we see in front of us is to create a global brand out of New Zealand, which is the dream. And that's what we're setting about to do. Hey, before we talk about private equity backing, can you both tell me about how you funded earlier stages of Calicurb and Layboy? We were slightly different because we'd done a management buy-in with private equity with a company called Lifestream, and this was with Pioneer backing. So Calicurb came out from that. Calicurb in that initial stage of 2017 was actually done internally by the Lifestream team, myself as a CEO, and then we always accounted for what was being spent on Calicurb, so it was true costing, but we were already part of private equity when the Calicurb opportunity came to us. How about you, Gary? My wife and I funded the business for the first 18 months. We mortgaged everything we owned to grow the business to a size that meant that when we bought private equity and we had value left on the table, we brought in our friends from Pioneer in November of 2018 because by that stage, Robin and I, that's my wife and our youngest son, had relocated to London to grow the UK business. They came in and put some capital into the company to help us drive the growth in the UK. And now the UK dominates our business. It's bigger than Australia and New Zealand combined. Awesome. And turning to that private equity raise for both of you, you did it relatively early in that business growth journey than typically most private equity firms would be looking at. How did you determine it was the right time to raise capital? And why did you decide on private equity? I was already part of private equity when Calicurb, the opportunity came. I was part of the Pioneer Group as part of Lifestream. It was really developing that business case and presenting to them. And possibly slightly unusual in the fact that private equity doesn't tend to favour startups. But as this was leveraging off the Lifestream team, it made sense. I was going to say exactly that. It's not often that you see a private equity firm come in on a business plan and back the IP and the idea. What do you think gave them the confidence to be able to do that? It was just so compelling, the IP, plus the business plan and all the work we'd done in the New Zealand, Australia and American market. As we always say in health, there are four main areas that people will always look at and it's mental health, it's sleep, joints and bones and weight. And as I said, to get an extract from New Zealand that is clinically proven that we owned the IP and a patent around is quite extraordinary. So how did you go about determining how much money you were going to need to raise in that situation? It was more in the fact of we modelled it to set up the e-commerce site, the branding, the collateral and everything we did like that. And we did scenarios on growth. We did it on the inventory. So there was quite a bit of modelling done on it. And what about you, Gary? How much did you need to raise at that time and how did you determine that? And were you conscious of the stake that you were prepared to give up to raise that money? The harsh reality was we knew we were going to run out of mortgageable runway at some point. The beach house up here and the house in Milford was on the block. I was like, "Uh uh-oh. We hired a firm called Grant Samuel to help us put together an information memorandum. And we did a lot of pitching to a lot of different players in the private equity space. I met the guys from Pioneer. 
and then took off up to the UK. We did our raise via Zoom and before lockdown type conditions over a different time zone. And then the guys from Pioneer popped up to see us. And we were really clear at the outset, look guys, we're only 18 months old, but here's the business plan, here's the model, but you're not gonna own more than we do. And if that is not on your radar, let's shake hands and part as friends. Because Robin and I were determined we weren't gonna give up control at that first race. And the Pioneer guys bought into that and we've been delighted with the partnership we've had with them and still have with them, by the way. And that's an interesting point because there's quite a few different private equity funds out there in the marketplace. When you were bringing on Pioneer Capital, what were the qualities you were looking for and then what made you decide Pioneer's the one that we're going to go with in this situation? The key to us was, and this sounds somewhat arrogant, but it is a harsh reality of the world we live in right now, capital's relatively available. It's just how much do you want to pay for it? There's no shortage of capital out there right now. And what was key to us was that there was a chemistry in terms of the people we were going to deal with because this is a hyper growth business and there's a fair element of risk. And we needed people that got their head around that. And we also wanted people who could add value to our business so they could come in and they could actually offer value in through intellect, through resources, through access to different providers of different services that we may need. And Pioneer ticked all those boxes. I'm interested in your experience of the process. What worked well in the process of getting the funds into your business? And what were the challenges? And you mentioned your advisors, but if there was sort of a particular advice that you sought at the time, I'd be interested to understand what that looked like. I think the biggest challenge for us at that time was we were trying to grow our business as rapidly as we had for the last 18 months or so. We were in the UK. We knew that in trying to grow our business fast, we were running out of liquidity fast. So there was this weird pressure that said, hey, we've got to keep growing the business because that supports the business case. But if we overshoot this thing and we haven't got this deal done, there's going to be a no hell moment. So that was the biggest challenge. I also think that it was an intense process. The rigor and due diligence that the PE firms put in quite appropriately is not to be underestimated. I thought that was an intense process though until I went and did a publicly listed capital raise, but that's a different story. And I think the other thing is, there's an interesting story around the private equity guys. They like to talk to founders and say to them, look, you're better off owning a small part of a big business than a big part of a little business. And I like to flip that round and put it back at them. Well, hold on a second. As founders, we've started this business, we've grown this business. Why don't you take your own advice? and own a small part of a big business rather than take the lion's share of the small business right now. And that was an interesting debate to have. I'm really keen to understand about how you got to talking to that investment class. How did you approach Pioneer to see if there was some interest in investing in your business? PE doesn't just jump at every business opportunity. It needs to have some pretty substantial benefit to them because that's what they do. We went through an advisor called Grant Samuel and they helped us put together an information memorandum and a hit list, I suppose you'd call it, of private equity firms that they would approach on our behalf. And then there was an interview process, but that's two-way. So not only are they interviewing us and assessing us as to whether or not they want to go the next step and take some time to delve deeper, we were also interviewing them. Was there that chemistry there? Could these partners, to Sarah's point, be alongside us when they're going not tough? and just not find where the sailors. And that's an interesting wee dance to go through over those initial periods. For me, Dylan, I was actually approached by Pioneer to do a management buy-in of Lifestream. 
And then this came along simultaneously and knowing that the interests were aligned, which is growing a New Zealand company internationally and certainly Calicurb, which it didn't even have a name then, was something that we could take internationally quite quickly. So our interest aligned in that. You talked about the intensity of the DD process. What was the time frame that the whole woe to go took? We started interviewing various PE firms in July. Then we went to the UK in August and we closed the deal in November. And it just got pretty intense through the course of October because that's when the rubber really starts to hit the road, when the nitty-gritty gets negotiated and all bets are off. We were all friends until we start getting into an arm wrestle and then it gets interesting. In terms of scar tissue or what you've learned, what's one thing that you would do differently through that process? Probably for me, I wouldn't have built so much inventory in the US, but we just didn't know. I probably used a lot of cash and inventory, which really has been quite good. This year, where lead times have just blown out, I probably wouldn't have used quite so much on that and probably quite so much on the website. I think what really has been fascinating for me is that whole cash runway all the time. I've been at Harvard, I've been at MIT, and everyone is like, cash is king. But until you live it every day, the first thing I look at in the morning are the sales, and I look at um, the cash balance. It sounds ridiculous, but the P&L is not important, it's the cash. And that's what we're doing all the time. When COVID hit, we had no idea what would happen to our sales. And immediately I just dropped my salary to zero so we could continue paying the key people in our business. Those are the things that you need to do as a founder and as a CEO. Literally, I wake up and the first thing I look at, because we sell across different time zones, I look at that sales. And the fantastic thing is our sales at the moment, we are going more omni-channel now, but our sales are still 90% e-commerce. So the money is within 24 hours, but cash is king. And I hate saying that because it's such an old-fashioned saying, but boy, I tell you what, till you're there and you watch everything that you spend. And what about you, Gary? We probably, with the benefit of hindsight, would have spent faster and grown our team in the UK. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but with what we do up in the UK, particularly, it's a bit of a land grab. I come from a retail background. I'm not used to being in a company that loses money because in retail, you go out of business if you lose money. It's a bit of a foreign feeling to me, and I've always been wary, but with the benefit of hindsight, and to be fair, Pioneer encouraged me, get more people on board, drive the business. I shouldn't have been as reticent, but to Sarah's point, when you watch that cash balance every day, and we do, it becomes very, very real. (laughs) Great piece of advice. You've both talked about wanting to go faster in hindsight. What do you see the benefits of doing that? I liked Gary's words about a land grab. For us, ours is creating that brand. So always it was to go as fast as possible to create that brand. And there really was for us this, what we call a white space in intermittent fasting. There is no other brand there which fills that intermittent fasting space. And that is the largest wellness trend in the developed world at the moment. In America, it's overtaken keto to be the number one wellness trend. So we wanted absolutely to be in there with the brand. You don't want to just do it in the US, you want to do it in the UK, you want to do it all around. You want to take that space. And for you, Gary? When I mentioned going faster, it was about getting more people on board quicker. 
and that was so that we could fuel the growth because particularly when we're in the UK, there was no one doing what we were doing when we first arrived up there. The buy now, pay later as we know it was not present in the UK. So we needed to get our brand out there. We needed to invest in PR, which we did because we had to educate both retailers and consumers alike as to what lay-by did. What I should have done with the benefit of hindsight is hired more salespeople to get that message out there faster for me because I knew no one up in the UK. We had to create that and that was an interesting experience for a Kiwi going up to the UK, having to create a network up there, but we did it. Oh, you did well. You got my favourite football team on as a brand partner as well. Man, you. Yeah, well, they're my favourite as well. That's why we asked them. <laughs> <laughs> You've both held a number of CEO and senior management roles prior to these businesses. How has that experience played a part in, one, securing the investment and, two, shaping your approach been invaluable. I've grown a lot of businesses. I've never founded one. That experience from more than 30 years is just dealing with situations, dealing with people. I had planned to go up to the US and base myself there. And then COVID hit. Literally two weeks before I was saying to the team, hey, I'll go and base myself in North Carolina where I have friends. And then COVID hit. And what about you, Gary? I often say to our team, because our average age of team is about 32 or 33 or something ridiculous, I'm the guy with grey hair and wrinkles for a reason. I've been around the block a few times and got the scars and bruises from the mistakes I've made and the things I've learned along the way. That has unquestionably helped from a number of things. New Zealand's a village. And then when you have been running retail businesses, retail's a microcosm within that village. Your network's really strong. And that got us off to a flying start. And that gave us the credibility when we needed to talk to the likes of Pioneer. This may come across as a little arrogant, but it's certainly not intended it to. When you get to the grey hair and wrinkle stage that I am, you take less BS from some of these young guys and the PE firms that are great at spreadsheets. I mean, I don't give a damn what your spreadsheet says. This is how business operates and this is how the cash will get spent and all the rest of it. You can lean on your experiences a lot more having had them. That would be my observation. It's interesting because in Series 1 and talking to the private equity firms, they said their business is about backing people. Talking to Pioneer, they've been very effusive in their praise of both of you. In fact, one of the big pieces of feedback was the most compelling reason they invested in your businesses was they were backing the both of you and your ability to build teams. But if we put that to one side, is there anything else that you worked on to lock Pioneer in as an investor? We talk about the business plan and we talk about in behind that, and I think that's important in the modelling. But as Gary would probably say as well, it's about every day. And a business plan never, ever goes in a straight arrow. It never does. So it's about doing it every day. What has been the most exciting is just making those decisions. I've worked at large multinationals and decision-making can be incredibly long. It's making those decisions and working it every day and saying, what are we going to do next? How do we do this? And having an e-commerce business means that we can trial things the whole time. And that's exciting. You know, you can put something out and you can trial it within 24 hours to know whether it's working and just constantly pushing ahead. And every moment holding your breath, like our second clinical trial, we absolutely wanted to show its benefit in intermittent fasting. And then the published result was amazing. But you don't know that for 12 months. 
It's been really exhilarating, exciting, like a roller coaster. There's huge ups and downs the whole time. And you, Gary, what do you think was most compelling to pioneer in helping them choose to invest in Layby? It's like any business owner or CEO. If you're not passionate about what you're doing and you don't believe in it 100%, how on earth is someone going to have the confidence in you to put their money into your business? I'm pretty stubborn and driven. And when we made the decision to leave the corporate world after nearly 40 years to go into a startup, we had to be pretty committed to what we were doing. It was passing on that belief and demonstrating through actions, not just words in a business plan to Sarah's point, that actually we know what we're doing. And here's the evidence of what we're doing. And this is why we can repeat it. And this is how we're going to repeat it. And getting people to buy into the dream. It's funny how things actually happen if you believe in it. And it is a genuine belief, not just rose-tinted glasses. That genuine confidence is so important. Hey, I want to flip it a bit now. Besides money, what other benefits have your investors brought to your business? It's been relatively hands-off, but certainly does bring a rigour to finance. Gary? I'd support Sarah's view. Pioneer have not been micromanaging us at all. They've trusted us to get on and run the business. The benefit for me is, and Sarah, I'm sure you've found this at times in your CEO career, it's a bit of a lonely chair. Sometimes you just want someone to ask some questions of who are not going to judge if that question's stupid or not. They're there to support you. And I found Pioneer really good for that. I could go and say to them, hey, look, I'm battling with this. I think it's this. What do you think? They'd say, well, what the hell are you smoking? Or that works. Let's model that out. So, yeah, it was invaluable. What's your one piece of advice you'd give somebody going out for the first time seeking to raise that round of capital? really understand the value of your business, know how much you want and how much you want to give up. And then the second thing is really make sure there is a chemistry. Because I tell you what, when it gets tough and when things aren't going right, you're going to need all of that blind, unwavering faith in your business to keep pushing it through. Sarah, I'd agree with you 100%. I mean, just to give you a brief example, when COVID hit, our sales dropped 75% overnight. That tests everybody's resolve when cash is king, as you've said. I would encourage someone to get a great advisor like we had, someone who can ensure the rigour of our internal financial modelling stacked up to the inevitable tough due diligence a PE firm's going to do. Because if they pick holes in that at the outset, boy, it's hard to get that back. And that's what we did. And I'm forever grateful for the guys at Grant Samuel for helping ensure we were robust when we went to market. Preparation is key. Yeah. You've moved quite rapidly from private equity investment through to an IPO on the ASX. And it sort of shows that they're not independent of each other. Can you talk about the thinking and decision that went behind that curve? We did quite a bit of work on that with a great group of advisors out of Australia this time alongside Pioneer, and we looked at our options around additional capital. Was that JV? Was that M&A? Was that more private equity? Was it publicly listing? And what we discovered was that our business is growing at such a pace that we need ready access to capital quick. And whilst the capital is available in the private equity markets, it takes a long time. Whereas once you're publicly listed, you might not get what you want to pay for it, but you can spin it pretty quick and get the cash in to fuel your growth. So that's why we went down the publicly listed route. Yeah, you can keep tapping that market once you're in, right? You can keep accessing it. While we're on it, I'm also keen to briefly touch on your 80 million pound debt facility that you secured from Victory Park. What was the thinking behind that? Victory Park Capital actually approached us. 
they had been involved in the buy now pay later market before and they approached us with an offer to assist in debt funding. We need the debt funding for our debtor ledger, not for the operational running of the business, because we pay our retailers overnight and our consumers pay us over a six-week period. So we've got to fund that debtor ledger. As I described the growth in the UK from 55 million to 405 million in 12 months, you can see the debtor ledgers going like that. So Victory Park put in place that 80 million pound facility. We're currently talking to them about a facility for the US as well. So they're a good partner from our debt provider as well. Effectively, it's a working capital facility for you really, isn't it? Of sorts, yeah. Once we scale, we'll look at a securitization vehicle for the debt of book, but there is an economics to that. The most important question of the podcast is, can I get Calicurb on layby? Absolutely, you certainly can. Okay, I'm keen to look forward now. What's next for each of you? You know, growth plans, partnerships, any additional investment rounds on the horizon? Well, ours certainly is about growth and there is more investment in that growth and that's what we'll have to look at. We're going into Mexico and you might say, why Mexico? Well, it is actually the third largest obesity in the developed world. And sometimes you do these things because people come to you. Amazing partners in Mexico, they've been doing it for two years and they are the largest direct response television in Mexico. Wow. That'll be exciting. So we're going into Mexico, Malaysia. My first order leaves hopefully at the end of this month for China and we'll go back into the UK. Ours is really about that global expansion and also the halo products around Curb. So really a lot on the agenda. It sounds like a lot. And you, Gary, similar story? Our growth trajectory is pretty much similar. For the quarter end of December 2019, our GMV or sales in the UK was 55 million Kiwi. When you wind the clock forward 12 months, it's 407 million Kiwi. It's just exploded in the UK. We've also launched in the US, and Sarah, I'd be keen to have a chat to you offline or trade some emails on how we might collaborate in the US. We have listed in September of 2020. We've listed on the ASX so that we have ready access to capital as we grow. Pioneer and my wife and I, we are the majority shareholders. We collectively own 55% of the business. But I would see us putting the pedal down in the UK, going into Europe, and then obviously in the US where we're beta testing right now. So we've got some exciting 12 months ahead of us, just throwing a global pandemic that stops us traveling up to our customers as well. And it's all good fun. Rawe, very exciting. Sounds like you both have big plans for growth and global expansion. And from everything we've heard today, it also sounds like you've both got the backing and the vision to do it. Thanks so much for the insights you've shared. It's clear that your experience has been a huge asset in securing investment, but it's been fantastic to see the real confidence you have in your product, your ability to articulate your vision, and then giving yourself enough runway to grow at pace. And Gary, I love that you flipped the standard investment mantra too about founders being better to have a small piece of a big pie, and you challenged investors to see the opportunity in securing themselves a small piece of a big company. I'm really keen to see what develops for both of you in the next year, Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us. Kelda Sarah, Kelda Gary. Dylan, thank you so much for having me. Likewise, Dylan, thank you for having me. And Sarah, it's lovely to meet you, albeit across the cybernet. Lovely to meet you and thank you again, Dylan. That was your investment fix from NZTE. For a bigger financial fix, head to investnewzealand.nz.